0: Story Grid Editor Roundtable podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better writer following the Story Grid method developed by Sean Coyne, an editor with over 25 years experience. My name is Valerie Francis and I'll be moderating the Roundtable today. Joining me shortly are four of my fellow certified Story Grid editors, Jari Bolander, Anne Holly, Kim Kessler, and Leslie Watts. Each week, we watch a movie from one of the 12 content genres and complete a Global foolscap worksheet, then discuss it using the six core questions. It's East meets Western this week as we examine the Western samurai style with Yojimbo, written and directed by Akira Kurosawa in 1961. Two years later, Yojimbo crossed the Pacific, then the Atlantic, To become the inspiration for Sergio Leone's spaghetti western, A Fistful of Dollars, and is credited with the revival of the western in the 1960s and 70s. In fact, Anne found a fascinating shot by shot video comparison of Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Now, here's a synopsis adapted from Wikipedia. In 1860, a samurai named Sanjiro wanders through a desolate Japanese countryside. He sees the son of an elderly farm couple run off to join the exciting life of gangs and gambling in a nearby town and decides to investigate. The town's tavern keeper advises Sanjiro to leave. The town is under violent control by two rival gangs who are each recruiting criminals from the countryside and each have co-opted a wealthy town leader. Sebei, a weak man with a strong wife, owns the silk merchant's allegiance, and Ushitora has bought the sake brewer's allegiance. After hearing the tavern keeper's story, Sanjiro decides to stay, saying he thinks the town would be better off with both sides dead. By effortlessly killing three members of the stronger Ushitora gang, he convinces the weaker, Sebei, to hire him as a bodyguard. Sebei now thinks the time is right to fight the stronger gang, but... In a conspiratorial conversation that Sanjuro overhears, Sebe's strong, greedy wife orders their son to kill Sanjuro as soon as the raid is done. This way, they won't have to pay him anything. Accordingly, Sanjuro leads Sebe's men into an attack formation with the other gang, but then quits. Before the two gangs can come to blows in the streets, a government investigator from the capital arrives, forcing both sides to make a bloodless retreat. This official law and order presence shuts down all gang activity for days and costs the gang leaders a fortune in bribes. Meanwhile, Ushitora's youngest brother, the handsome and ruthless Unosuke, comes back into town and he's got a gun. He's the only gang member to have one. In a complicated series of moves, tensions between the gangs escalate. Ushitora kidnaps Sebei's son and Sebei counters by kidnapping Ushitora's woman. The prisoners are exchanged, and the woman is borne away in front of her crying child. When Sanjuro learns that the woman is actually the wife of a farmer, he discovers where she's being held, kills the guards, and reunites her with her family. He gives them money and tells them to leave town, then convinces Ushitora that it was Sebei's men who took her. The gang war reaches a peak when Ushitora's men burn down the silk merchant's warehouse in retaliation for the loss of the woman. And Sebei's men destroy the Saki brewery in retaliation for the fire. Unosuke discovers Sanjuro's double cross and has him severely beaten and imprisoned. With the tavern keeper's help, Sanjuro manages to escape the town. As he leaves, he witnesses the brutal end to Sebei and his gang. Ushitora eventually nabs the tavern keeper for his role in the samurai's escape, so once recovered, Sanjuro returns to free his ally. Sanjuro then kills Ushitora and all his men, including the gun-toting brother. He spares only one terrified young man, and that's the farmer's son he encountered on his way into the town at the beginning of the story. As Sanjuro surveys the damage, the silk merchant, who is Sebei's only remaining ally, kills the sake brewer, who is Ushitora's only remaining ally. Sanjuro frees the tavern keeper, then walks away from the town he has liberated saying, see you around. Okay, so we had a great conversation about um, this Eastern Western in our preparation for this week's podcast. So we're going to just get started right away and jump right in with a discussion on the global genre. Kim, would you like to start us off, please?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Western has become one of my favorite genres to look at. And I think part of it is because, you know, we don't see them very often anymore. It is something that was kind of a time gone by. But I just find them so rich and fun to watch. Um, A big part of that is because Western is a combination of action, crime, and society story. So they're woven together and... We'll talk about this, about which one kind of rises to the top. But I think in the ones that we've watched and and even all the Westerns that I've seen over my lifetime, a different one of those genres will rise to the top. And so the core value here is going to be freedom versus subjugation. Now, this is where we're talking about an individual versus society and the individual's role in society and whether or not an individual needs to be a part of society or whether the society needs this individual that is uncompromising and doesn't really have a tie to what happens to society. society, So they need something that this person has. So it's an interesting juxtaposition of that freedom and subjugation and individual freedom versus the ties that bind. So The gas gauge tank that we have here is going to be one out of security. So this is where we're talking about um, safety. We're talking about the safety of our ideals. You know, there's our physical safety, which is what the action story really encompasses. And also, you know, the safety of our identity and of our autonomy and being able to choose things for ourselves and live our lives the way we want. And that's really what's being defended as well. The core emotion in a Western is freedom. But also you'll find intrigue and excitement, which comes through, you know, the other genres that make it up. The core event is the big showdown at the end, um, usually in the middle of town, you know, the high noon kind of showdown, the shoot 'em out, in this case, slice them up uh, because we're dealing with samurais today. And there's going to be several subgenres that you can have in a Western. There's the classic Western, which is what really what came first. And that gave way to the vengeance subgenre in which a stranger comes to town to right a wrong and that eventually gave way to transition which is where an individual begins as a part of society at the beginning of the story and then is exiled from society by the end or vice versa and also that gave way to the professional which is where we have the you know either the lawman or those that are you know operating outside of the law as just a matter of course they're just doing their job so for today, and we have a lot of discussion about this before we record the podcast, and I know that the, we're not in agreement about this, so I'll be really interested to hear other people's um, take. I saw Yojimbo as a Western vengeance story, so where we have a stranger that comes to town to right a wrong. Now, the interesting bit about this was whether or not Sanjuro was motivated to... To Right the wrong when he came to town. So clearly we have a stranger that comes to town. But was he motivated by writing a wrong? Was he seeking justice when he came to the town or not? Or was this more just a classic, he just, you know, stranger comes to town kind of thing? So, when we have the beginning of the story, he stops by a farmer's house to get water, and he hears this argument with the son and his parents and the son wants to run away and join the gang and You know the father's really upset, and the father and mother have this discussion, and so he gets all this information while he's sitting there sipping his water, just listening and then he decides to head off to town and it you know it very well could be because he's going off to town because he knows he can make some money as a bodyguard in some sort of crazy situation that's happening there. And this may be an instance where the reader or the viewer brings a lot of themselves or their wishes of themselves. I was picturing Sanjuro as this uncompromising individual um, who has an uncompromising moral code. I've been doing a lot of studying of Cool Hand Luke lately, so kind of this tenacity of – strength of will, and someone who will not go down easy, and so who's coming to town in order to set things right. And I think that he kind of plays off of what people think of him. And so in this case, I was picturing it that way. And so that's why I came to um, Western Vengeance. So we have an uncompromising individual um, who sacrifices, forget the good of all, and also... When we talk about the three genres that make it up, you know, action, crime and society, action really rises to the top for me here. And it's a very clear example of an action dual Machiavellian plot where the hero is going to set two villains against one another. So he basically uses their greed and their, you know, hatred of one another to destroy one another in order to free the town. The only other thing I want to mention um, before passing this off for anyone else's comments is I found an interesting pattern of the negation of of the negation um, here, which is subjugation perceived as freedom. So we have obviously the the townspeople are subjugated. They are under the rule and reign of the gang leaders and the mayors, which are essentially the silk merchant and the sake merchant. And so they are clearly under subjugation. Now, the gang leaders appear to have all of the power, But they're actually under um, the sake merchant and the silk merchant. That's really who they have their allegiance to because they're the ones that have all the product that will make money for the town. And so the gang leaders themselves appear to be operating under the negation of the negation as subjugation (laughs) perceived as freedom. And then what I noticed is even the most powerful person in town, which is the sake merchant, has subjugation perceived as freedom because he has an obsession with um, the woman that they've kept captive, who is the woman that Sanjiro frees. And he's obsessed with her. And so when she's taken, he begs Sanjiro to tell him where she is and he keeps the others from killing him so that he can find out where she went. And that ends up, you know, being really all of their downfall because they didn't kill Sanjuro when they had the chance. And it was his obsession with this woman. So it's really subjugation masked as freedom. A total opposite of Sanjuro, who the way he finds out where he goes is he throws a stick up in the air to see which way he's going to walk. And then he leaves at the end. You know, he just, he leaves, see around. And he just goes on. And he didn't do it for the money necessarily. He did it because that's who he is, right? He's this uncompromising individual who makes his way and, and then leaves. But even that level of freedom if you're not able to put down roots, or you're not able to connect. That could even be a form of subjugation masters freedom. Anyway, those were kind of my takes on the genre. I, it was a fantastic movie and I really enjoyed the story so much. Oh, also one other note. I did not see an internal arc in the story at all. It is feels straight up external. Uh, Sandro begins the movie one way and he ends almost in the exact same situation. So purely external, no internal arc. Totally agree on the no internal arc. And also one of the things we discussed before we got going
2: here uh, was that the Western, it's it's not even maybe the right name for this genre, but it's it's set apart from action, society and crime by this core value of freedom versus subjugation. And that's where the value lies. And that's, I, I wish we could talk about it under another name than Western because people think cowboys and horses and, or even here, samurais, but there's so much more To the genre, the the individual who faces the difficulties of coming out of complete freedom, or so they think, into the ties that bind within a town, within a society, within civilization. Those are very important stories, and they're still, they play out every day in American society anyway, even in things like the gun control debate. So these are stories that are still very current, and I would like to. Someday, find a better name for this genre than Western so that we don't instantly think Stetson and Spurs and broaden our view of this form of story.
3: I mean, that's a total uh, right on comment. I mean, to me, this is a warrior story. Warriors throughout time have always had a special place in society where they want their independence, but then they also have, you know, an ethos a code of honor. And that sort of transcends whether it's in the West or in Asia or in you know Russia or wherever it may be, because they do have all of those characteristics that you guys just mentioned. I mean, they're free. They, they want to be free, but then they're f- apart from society and then they have to come in. They're, they're the people that you don't want to have around, but you need to have around. Um, and I think that's exactly what this has in it. At least that's the way I looked at it because I, I disagree with Kim <laughs> on on, uh, on the, um, the overall external genre.
2: I think, too, there's a reason why in colloquial American English we refer to those kinds of people as cowboys, even though they're not yes. technically cowboys. That term Correct. reflects exactly yes. what you're talking about.
3: Yeah. The Western story, I think it's more the warrior story. Because you could put this in Africa. You, you could put the same conditions in, obviously, in Japan, Then we move it to the West, and then you can move it to anywhere. It's, it's this fundamental, the lone warrior. He's a hired gun, hired gun or hired sword. He's a ronin, which is basically a, a masterless samurai. And that is a very, that's, that's throughout every culture they have those types of people.
0: Okay, so now we're into the beginning hook, middle build, and ending payoff. Jari, you want to take us through that, please?
3: Sure. Uh, So I love this movie as well. So uh, the beginning hook, uh, Sanjuro, who is a ronin, uh, wanders into a town divided by a gang war. The streets are abandoned. He walks into a restaurant and learns that the town has a lot of people that he says needs killing. Uh, He then shows the town that is worthy by killing members of Yusuchoya's gang and then goes back to negotiate with Saibe, as we talked about. He's the weaker gang leader. And Saibei pays a Sanjuro $50 or 50 ro, uh, but overhears them plotting to kill him after he defeats uh, Yushitora. Uh, at, at the fight, Sanjuro quits, tells Yushitora, hey, I'm no longer with Saebei. Uh The two sides square off, but right before they're about to fight, um, a horseman comes in and says, hey, an inspector is coming to town. We all need to pretend <laughs> that everything's okay. So that ends beginning hook, and this is going to get interesting quick. So during the time the inspector's around, uh, Sanjuro waits for either side. This is the middle build, beginning of the middle build. Uh, For either side to come, uh, make him an offer to protect them once the inspector leaves. Yushitora comes when he knows that the inspector will leave the next day, and makes Sanjuro an offer that he refuses. Uh, Both parties call Truths, which puts Sanjuro in a bind, because clearly he wants to play him against each other. Sanjuro captures the assassin's and then sells them to Saibai. These assassins are though actually the reason why the inspector left. Uh, and then Yushitoro's girl is kidnapped, and they are offered in exchange for Saibai's son. Uh, his girlfriend is put in a safe house that Sanjuro finds out about, and this is part of it where it's like a vengeance kind of s- subplot uh, or his warrior code where he actually goes, kills the guards, lets her go. But then... on. Yushitora finds out and beats up Shanjuro, and that's the end of, of the middle build. And the, the whole inciting incident, progressive complication, crisis, climax, and resolution are all broken out in the show notes. Uh, so then in the ending payoff, uh, it starts out with Sanjuro escapes his captors and makes his way to the restaurant where he hatches a plan to escape. He eventually does escape, goes to a shrine where he's recovering uh, with the help of the restaurant owner. He then finds out that the restaurant owner's been captured. Goes back to the town to rescue him. The the stronger gang leader then kills uh, the weaker gang leader's gang, and then Sanjuro kills everyone else. Lets the restaurant leader or restaurateur go, excuse me, and then, (laughs) in the classic way, as he leaves town, says, "See you around." Fade to black. Done. This is the classical framework for a western. The whole reason why Sanjurro goes to this town is that he throws a stick in the air, it points one way, and he just walks that way. So there's really no he, – he, he, in my opinion, he's an opportunist. He, he's, a, he's a traveling ronin who just wants to get paid. So he's just a hired mercenary. He's a hired, he's a hired sword. Yeah.
0: I, I would say that it's random. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. would say it's random. You just said he throws the stick up in the air. I mean he's a gun for hire, right, or a sword for hire as the case may be. So and he goes into the town to to earn a buck. That's that's his original motivation. Anyway. Yeah,
3: and and I think and even though he he finds that oh hey I need to help these people out and he he's, he does have a sense of honor and justice because clearly he's not taking advantage of people that are hard earnest you know hardworking and earnest. He's only taking advantage of the people that are corrupt, and that's pretty consistent um, throughout the whole thing. And I. I think that's sort of what you kind of see as his redeeming quality because he's, I mean, he drinks tons of sake. He, he's just kind of a rabble rouser, but he's definitely a complex character, even though he appears simple.
0: Okay, so now we're going to look at the obligatory scenes and conventions of the Western story. And you want to start us off with the obligatory scenes.
2: Yeah. The first one is an inciting attack by the villain or the environment. And to be honest, I I struggled with this one a little bit. I think it was fairly subtle. Um, My first thought was that this could be the dog running past with the severed human hand in its jaws. It's not an attack on Sanjuro, but it was like an attack by the environment, the corrupted, chaotic, violent, bloody town um, exposing itself to Sanjuro's view. I don't think that really qualifies as an attack, but I tried it on for size. And then I thought, well, a bit later when Ushitora's gang comes out of the inn and, and surrounds Sanjo and goads him and insults him by calling him a stray dog, which kind of linked those two things together— But this is also the next obligatory scene. So neither moment is especially violent, but both of them contain a heavy subtext of the violence that's going to come. So the second uh, obligatory scene is the hero sidesteps responsibility to take action. And I would argue that that scene where Ushitor's men come out and surround him and goad him, trying to get him to step up and fight them, he just he just walks away. He just disregards their challenges. He insults them back. Kind of, you know, you have such cute faces, he says, and refuses to become involved, just walks off uh, shrugging his shoulders. The third obligatory scene is forced to leave the ordinary world. The hero lashes out. Once Sanjuro gets the idea in his head to save the town from itself, which he seems to get about the time the tavern keeper, the restaurant owner, is telling him all about what's going on. And he says, some people around here need to die. He goes right out and kills three men of Ushtor's gang in a particularly cold, swift, lashing out way, just very, very co- stone cold. The next one is discovering and understanding the MacGuffin, which is the villain's object of desire. I would say, and I would welcome argument on this, that the MacGuffin here is the town itself. Both villains want control of the town. They want to own the town. He figures out right away that Sebe wants, that he's the weaker gang leader, wants status and power through beating the other gang. And then he quickly learns that it's really Sebe's greedy wife, who's even more ruthless in pursuit of that power. And then Ush the other gang leader, the stronger one, is very jealous of his powerful positions, but they all want to own the town. The next one is the hero's initial strategy to outmaneuver the villain fails. I think this obligatory scene comes 32 minutes in when the arrival of the government inspector puts paid to the big melee that Sanjuro was pretty sure was going to decimate both gangs and do his job for him. It changes everything. It gives the villains time to regroup, and it leads to bigger and bigger crimes. The hero, the next one, the hero realizing that he must change his approach to salvage some form of victory, reaches an all is lost moment. I think this is when Unosuke, the the gunman, the, the handsome youngest brother of the gang leader, figures out that Sanjuro freed the woman hostage and has him beaten almost to death and stripped of his sword, that's very important. Sanjuro escapes the final beating that would have killed him by hiding in a box that's kind of coffin shaped and then in an actual coffin and being carried off to a cemetery which is totally symbolic of the death of any honor or hope that he had left uh, next to last is the showdown where the hero and villain face off it's the central event of the western story the core event and what the reader is waiting for it's the moment when the hero's gift is expressed this is very clear in the final seven minutes of the film Sanjuro returns from his sojourn at the cemetery and confronts Ushitora's gang, who is led by the gunman brother, and who shouts, "Don't come any closer!" And Sanjuro swings into samurai action. It's it's quite good. He disables uh, the gunman's gun arm by throwing a dagger and, into his arm, and quickly dispatches everyone else. But I don't think his gift is just swift killing; it's mercy. He lets that one kid, the one who still has a chance to be a decent human being, run away back to his mommy and daddy. The kid actually runs away screaming, mommy. It's pretty funny. And then Unosuke, who's dying, he's the gunman who's dying, bleeding out on the ground, says, you're a nice guy. And in a second act of mercy, Sanjuro gives uh, Unosuke back his gun and trusts him to be, to be unable to fire it one last time. And finally, the hero's sacrifice is rewarded. And this is when Sandro leaves the town. He's still a free agent. He's still a masterless Ronin. It's not much of a reward, but it's remarkably satisfying to the viewer.
0: I think it's fascinating how a story that, you know, we're calling it an Eastern-Western. So it's a story that's come from a different part of the world, a different culture, is still hitting the same obligatory scenes that we would expect from a traditional Western. You know, maybe not hitting them exactly the same way and there's interpretations of them, but the elements are still there. I think that's really cool.
2: Of course, the story doesn't arise in a complete cultural vacuum. Uh, Kurosawa acknowledges his Western influences. I mean, the influences from the Western world, including film noir and and some things. So it isn't a story that arose strictly out of isolationist Japan.
0: Absolutely. And this is one of the things that makes studying story so fascinating for me. Okay, moving on. We're going to go to the conventions now of a Western story. Leslie, would you give us a hand there?
4: Sure. So the first convention is a harsh, hostile, wide open landscape that is a character and in this story, Sanjiro travels through desolate country to a tiny frontier town, or frontier-like town, in feudal Japan. The terrain and atmosphere are very reminiscent of the Old West, what we typically see in a Western movie. The next convention is hero, victim, villain. These three roles must be clearly defined throughout the story. Sanjiro is a ronin. He is the hero. The victim is generally the innocent people of the town and surrounding countryside, but more specifically, I would say the pub owner and the woman who had been enslaved to satisfy her husband's gambling debts. The villains are the two rival gangs. Sidekicks. This could be a mascot or a kid, a sex worker, the saloon keeper, a love interest. In this story, it's quite clearly the pub keeper. The hero's objective desire is to stop the villain and save the victim. Sanjuro seems to have no other real purpose for getting involved in this turf war. You know, we could talk about money, but once he's in it, certainly... His goal is to save the victims by defeating the villains. He appears to be seeking money again, but he gives the money that he makes to the woman who had been enslaved when he helps her and her family escape. The hero operates outside the law, selectively or as a matter of course. Sanjiro operates Outside the law, as a matter of course, feudal Japan was a police state with samurai for law enforcement, but Sanjuro has left. That's the definition of a ronin is a samurai who's essentially an independent warrior. The power divide between the hero and villain is very large. The villain is far more powerful than the hero. Sanjiro is strong and clever. He's got master weapon skills, but he's outnumbered on both sides. And Ushitoro's brother owns the only pistol in town. Making it personal. Originally, this seems to have related to the MacGuffin, but I think in this particular story, it becomes deeply personal when Ushitoro's gang discovers that Sanjiro released the woman who'd been enslaved. Speech in praise of the villain. The pubkeeper, does this for us. He tells Sanjiro that the gamblers are cold-blooded and greedy, and two such criminal bosses with a personal dispute is a disaster. Now they both gather new recruits, drifters, and criminals to wage a war in the town streets, while the local authorities... The constable and mayor do nothing. The casket maker can't produce his product fast enough to keep up with demand. Honorable mention in this category is the dog running down the main street with a human hand in its mouth. The clock. There is a limited time for the protagonist or villain to act. We don't have a literal clock here, but it is only a matter of time before the gangs get wise to the way that Sanjuro is playing them against each other. Now, the Western also can have subgenre specific conventions. And this film is the one that sets up the spaghetti Western or Euro Western category of Western films. When Italian directors kind of took the style and conventions of Kurosawa's film. So sometimes this imitation has been characterized as wholesale copying, sometimes as homage. Either way, the conventions of this category and more than 600 films that were made between 1960 and 1978 were established here. A key combination is the cunning of the hero and pathos for the innocent victims. So we have the hero enters a town ruled by two outlaw gangs. There are innocent town inhabitants, terrorized, who can't conduct business. The hero pretends to work for each of the gangs in exchange for money, but in reality, he's working for himself and betraying both gangs. The hero is cunning and has extraordinary skills with a weapon and the hero is exposed and severely beaten but he escapes and defeats the remaining gang
3: yeah what what's other what's also interesting about you know some of the conventions of this movie is uh Toshiro uh, Mifune who plays Sanjuro is the perfectly flawed badass um and he has that iconic look that Eastwood completely ripped off like i mean it's the exact same scowl with the exact same beard He looks a little scuzzy, you know, like misshaven and the whole thing. So, I mean, if you wanted to see where all that came from and the looks, the look that Sandro in this movie is just his looks are just priceless. That created, in my opinion, how Clint Eastwood did the rest of them. Just spot on.
2: One of the questions I had about these the conventions in this movie was. It's not important to the to the genre particularly, but it's an interesting question that writers should be thinking about. How did Sanjuro become the nameless ronin, the masterless samurai? Traditionally, samurai lost uh, their master to death or else were dismissed for some kind of dishonor or misbehavior. And in either case, again, traditionally, were expected to die by suicide. And even this late in the Tokugawa period, where it's kind of all falling apart, there does seem to be kind of a built-in dishonor associated with the ronin. He's wandering around free, and that's not acceptable in the kind of police state that the Tokugawa shogunate was. So the mystery, the unspoken mystery at the heart of this movie is what is Sanjuro's story? Now, I'm not sure how much more apparent this might have been to a Japanese audience in the early 1960s compared to how we view it today without internal cultural knowledge, but it's an interesting question, and it's one that I think all writers should have an answer to that kind of thing, even though it never appears on the page.
0: And it actually goes directly to the global value shift of the Western.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How did he get, how did he get free in the first place? What's he free from and what's he going towards?
0: Exactly. Okay. So the last three questions in the editor's six core questions are the point of view, the objects of desire and the controlling idea or theme. And for those, we're going to turn to Kim. What you got for us?
1: Hi. So the POV here, it really feels like a third person. You know, we mostly follow Sanjuro, but not necessarily always. And one thing that I noted when I was watching it was there is that element of mystery where it feels like almost like distant third person. Like I wasn't sure exactly what his motives were or what he was doing. And so I was very intrigued by him and what he was he was up to. So it doesn't feel like that first person, even though, you know, we follow him for the majority of the film. And so it has that slightly different feel of more of a third-person point of view. As far as the narrative device, it's really linear. It's an arc plot. And so we're rolling through the story um, event by event. And I don't really have anything additional to add here. So if anybody else wants to pipe in. I'll just add real briefly that the, the point
2: of view in this movie is so extremely cinematic that I'm not sure how it would even apply to to the written form because the way Kurosawa uses the camera to look up at Sanjuro, where he, we're looking at him from the chest up and he fills the sky. We get a lot of sky in this. It's a way of emphasizing an admiration for this character that I don't see how it could be done in writing. It's very, very cinematic. It's a beautiful movie, a lot of which would be very hard to translate to the written form.
3: Yeah, I to- I totally agree. I mean, even the the wide shot of him in the abandoned town, you know, the the center of town, which is again the classic Western. A stranger wanders into town, and you just get the huge shot of him, very wide. He's at the center, strong. You know, I, I don't know how you write that in, and that's clearly a kind of a third person town perspective or. The onlooker perspective. So, yeah, I think it, it's going to be hard to figure out the real, like in the written word, how this would go. But I, I could see just a lot of, uh, probably more description of, of, of how he acts.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's that third person omniscient view where where you describe the way that he looks when he walks down the town, which you wouldn't get if you were in his point of view because he wouldn't be able to watch himself walk down the town. And so it's a really distant, omniscient kind of narrator yet, and almost purely like only reporting on what can be sensed with the five senses, right? Like we don't really go into Sanjiro's mind in any way, right? We're not ever really sure what he's thinking. And so again, that would just be a really distant point of view. But yes, it's fun to experience stories in different mediums. And this is one of the reasons why I love movies because of those unique camera shots and angles. And it really adds to the experience. And it's interesting to think about how you would then translate that kind of feeling into words and a good writing exercise. So next up, we've got objects of desire and wants and needs. So the wants here, as Leslie said, the MacGuffin of our protagonist is to kill the gang leaders and free the town. And because this is a purely external story, the wants and the needs are pretty much the same. He wants to kill the gang leaders and free the town. And that's what he needs to do. He needs to be his uncompromising self, which is that's what he would do. He would free the town. And finally, the controlling idea or theme. So What's interesting about a Western story is that it turns on freedom versus subjugation, but sometimes the controlling idea can feel like a different value. And so, for example, in this case, whether you want to put in justice prevails or life prevails or freedom is one – any of those values kind of fit because they're all baked in there um, into a Western. So, freedom is one, or justice prevails when an uncompromising individual sacrifices themselves for the good of all, or outwits or overpowers the villain.
0: Okay, so that brings us to the last point, which is the good example section. This could be special scene types, outstanding tropes, clear tie ins to other genres, or anything else we found of interest. And I'm just going to start us off with. A quick note about why we would have picked a film like Yojimbo in the first place. It's certainly not a Hollywood blockbuster or a mainstream contemporary film like some of the other ones that we have done in the past. And I think as writers, I'm a writer myself, so I include myself in this, as writers, it's really important for us to look at our genre from a lot of different points of view from a lot of different examples. If you're writing a Western, it really doesn't matter which genre you're writing. We're we're talking about Western this week, so I'll stay with that. If you wanted to write a Western, sure, you're going to read a lot of novels, like perhaps Longmire and so forth. You're going to watch Clint Eastwood movies and all that sort of stuff. But when you take a film like Yojimbo and look at how elements of story, for example, the obligatory scenes and conventions, and even the way the genre itself is presented, when you look at those details, it really gives you a fresh perspective on the story. And as a writer, it allows you to innovate when it comes time to write your own story. It frees up your your creativity and gets the creative juices flowing. So it's really important, I think, whatever genre you're writing in, Look at a bunch of different movies in that genre, read a bunch of different types of novels in that genre, and tackle the six core questions from all of those different angles. And then figure out how, how you can apply all this to your own book and how you can bring something fresh and new to what you're writing yourself. Okay, that's my two cents worth this week. <laughs> uh, Jari, do you have something else for us? <laughs> So you don't give me an open mic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I mean that. that no, that's a great. No, that's great. Uh, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as another fellow writer, I completely agree. Uh, so, what's interesting is we kind of did a little digging on what influenced uh, the director and writer to make this movie, and there were there were two books. It was either Red Harvest or The Glass Key, which are both by Dashiell Hammett. Uh, interestingly enough, The Glass Key was a film noir classic, uh, but. Uh, it is really interesting to see that his inspiration was a noir crime that kind of pulled into this, quote unquote, Japanese Western. I mean, again, I, I we've got to think of another name. <laughs> I mean, Western is just so U.S. centric that I, and I think these are stories or this type of story can be put anywhere. I mean, you, you could put this in Japan, you could put this in. You know, Russia, you could put this in Africa or um, the Middle East. It's the same kind of thing. It's the warrior ethos, it's the warrior culture. It's someone that has uh, clearly an independent streak, yet has a code of honor and ethics and ethos. So we'll figure that out some other day. But the other cool thing is, For those of you that are Saturday Night Live fans, uh, John Belushi's character, uh, the Samurai Futaba, uh, was based on uh, Mufume's character in this movie. If you ever wondered if this kind of great writing can go into the mainstream, well, John Belushi completely ripped it off for his character, so... (laughs) that's all I have on that. It's, you know, I mean, I never could never never figure out where he got that from. I just thought it was just a lot, a lot of, of stereotypes, <laughs> you know, alcohol and or, or alcohol and cocaine. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna make a samurai. Ugh, I didn't
2: know that. One thing that interested me in this movie is that the dialogue is heavily weighted towards exposition. People don't really talk very much except when they're explaining something that, Uh, Sanjuro needs to know as the outsider stranger and that the audience also needs to know. And I'm not sure how this would stand today. I don't know that it would. But when you want to plunge your audience into the middle of a gang war from the point of view of an outsider, it's a convention of the Western, the only other choice would have been either flashbacks instead of exposition through dialogue or some kind of prologue or extended scenes in somebody else's point of view. Now, I think if you're Akira Kurosawa and you have Toshiro Mifune working for you, you can probably carry it off. But it's something to think about how to set up a complex story like this without a lot of what is today unacceptable exposition in dialogue. The other point that I wanted to bring out is that sounds in this film do a huge amount of storytelling work, not only the music, which is wonderful. But right from the beginning, we see the farm woman weaving and the clack, 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 clack of her uh, loom. It says so much about the whole socioeconomic basis of the story's world that the woman doesn't even have time to raise her eyes from her loom because her family depends so heavily on on her weaving to make a living. And this kind of sound, rhythmic sound, runs through the movie. And I thought about it from a writing point of view that's something you can bring into your writing. You can actually mention sound. And a lot of writers fail to mention sounds or fail to bring in the soundscape of their world. And then the other way you can play with sound in your writing is with the actual rhythm of the words you choose and the, the rhythm of the language itself that you use. So remember sound in your writing.
0: And that wraps it up for this week. Fantastic job, everyone. Thank you so much, Anne, Jari, Kim, and Leslie, for your excellent editorial insights into Yojimbo. We hope that our discussion helps you write and edit a better Western. You can find the foolscap and other materials in the show notes at storygrid.com. And we'd like to invite our listeners in the Story Grid community to comment, argue with us on our interpretations. And if you have a favorite movie that you'd like us to look at, suggest it to us on Twitter at RT, If you're interested in hiring a certified StoryGrid editor or would like to find out more about what we do, visit storygrid.com forward slash editing. If you want to connect with one of us directly, links to our websites can be found in the show notes. And finally, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling other writers about us and by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Join us again next time when we lasso the action genre with Wonder Woman. Why not give it a look during the week and follow along with us. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.